In this episode of the David Watson podcast, I spoke to James Courtney, the author of a new book coming out for, uh, called The Cape Agullus. And we had a great dialogue about how he came to start writing the book, where his ideas came from, and hopefully enough suspense to get you involved and want to find out more and go and buy the book. I will, of course, put the links in the description. And as always, please, if you enjoy this podcast, like, subscribe and comment. It's always helpful. Share. Always much appreciated. And without further ado. Good morning, James. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. Good morning, David. How are you? Very well indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So I've got you on today and we're going to talk about the book you wrote. Could you just tell us the, the title and yeah, start with the title and we'll go from there? Absolutely. The, the book is entitled The Cape of Gullis. Uh The Cape Agullis is actually the most southern, is the southernmost point of Africa. Um, and it has a uniquely iconic lighthouse um, for that particular area. And um, it just seemed an apt name for a book and for the boat. And how did you, how, how do you know about this area and the lighthouse? And... Um, historically, for a start, but then again, I was brought up in Africa, uh, initially in East Africa, and then we moved to Central Africa. Um, during our time in, in Central Africa, we holidayed in South Africa. Okay, I've, that's the first time I've ever heard somebody tell me that. I grew up in East Africa and holidayed in South Africa. Yeah, yes, but uh, we holiday from South Africa, in South Africa, from Central Africa. A, a lot of people think that um, or a reference to South, South Africa encompasses the entire southern part of the continent. It doesn't actually, because if we if we sort of come south from the Belgian Congo, you've got countries like now, which are Zambia, uh, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Swaziland. Then you come down into South Africa itself. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think people realise... Um... And I've never been to, oh no, I've been to Morocco, which is on the continent. So it's how large that continent is, how many countries there are, and how varied oh. the landscape is. I, I think somebody mentioned it was 47 different countries in Africa. Th this is it. And, and But when you say Africa, everybody would almost think it is a country. They, they act yeah. like, it, oh, Africa, that's a country, isn't it? It's like, no, no, it's, it's a continent. And yes. like you say, there's 47 countries, cultures. Uh, landscapes you know. i believe and, and a multitude of languages uh, yeah with french in morocco libya uh, and northern 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 north africa shall we say um it splits down to belgium in the congo um english uh in the south originally uh, Tanganyika was German, German. Oh, wow. Prior to the First World War. So how much time did you spend growing up in Africa? 
I, I spent more or less 18 years. Um, I left Africa shortly before my, um, about six months before my 18th birthday and moved back to the UK because at that time, um, Northern Rhodesia had then become Zimbabwe. Uh, the Bush war with Rhodesia was in, in full force. Um, and I oh, know, no, maybe not quite that. No, it was, it was going to go that way. Yeah. Um, that's right. Because it was 1966 when I left. Okay. And I came back to the UK. Okay. <clears throat> so, and so going, so what sort of this character from your book, Bruce Williams? Yes. How much of that is influenced from the, the African upbringing? And the people you must have met. Um, I, I don't think it comes out in this book particularly well about uh, Bruce's upbringing in, in, in Africa, or for that matter, mine. Uh, there are parallels to some extent. Um, bear in mind that this book is fiction. Um, and although there are truths in, in, in so far as that actual events that occurred are true. Okay. Okay. Because it's, it's difficult. Cause even when writing fiction, fiction, um, pretty much everybody admits that somebody or somewhere, every, every character is influenced by somebody or an event, even if it's a combination of people. Oh yeah. Uh, definitely, because, and, and I mean, I'll be very honest with you, David. I, when I set off to write this book, I didn't, I didn't set off to write a book per se. The whole episode starts. Believe it or not, we we were we were holidaying in Spain in February 2020, and um, it's winter in Spain, and yes, you do get the occasional days of bad weather. But the rest of the time, you know, it's it's really nice. It rains and rains one day, the next day the sun shines. Um, and it was a particularly bad day, and we found ourselves trapped inside. And I started, I found myself at my computer, thinking, well, what can I do? And I decided what I would do was would be to write, or to attempt to write a descriptive passage. And I based that passage on the landing at Malaga Airport. Now you have two, two methods of landing at Malaga Airport. Uh, one is from over the sea, one is from down the mountains. Coming in from, coming in from the sea to Malaga uh, can be quite disconcerting. It can be uh, construed very similarly to landing at Gibraltar, for instance, or St. Martin. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, it's it's one of those things you, you're looking out the, out the window and you're thinking, this is getting really low and I can see the waves breaking here. And I'm thinking, I know the undercarriage down, I've seen the flaps are down. And then all of a sudden this beach flashes underneath you, um, followed by almost instantly, um, these motorhomes parked up on the side of the beach there. And then there's a, a flash of golf course. And then you're on the tarmac. I know, yeah, I know that feeling because I've, I've landed at Gibraltar. And <laughs> I, for anyone that's never done it, 
<clears throat> Trust yeah. me, you think you're about to land in the sea, but you do hit Gibraltar. the tarmac. Yeah, yeah. Gibraltar is probably worse than Malaga because you, it's it's Gibraltar's sea, then it's tarmac. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's exactly how it is. And and, and you go run across the road from that 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 links Spain to Gibraltar. So it, yeah, it's quite unique. As as the aircraft flashes by, you see people standing at the barriers, yeah. waving the aeroplane <laughs> flashing past. And you're I, wondering how long is this airfield? You know how long is this trip? And I know it's not very long, no, because uh, uh, something like an A320, they are slamming on the brakes and reverse was like mad. I, I remember, like I said, I, when when I landed at Gibraltar, I I was convinced that um, I knew nothing of the airport with Gibraltar. And I was convinced that we were going into the sea. And I was, <clears> as I am, I'm quite calm about these things because there's nothing I can do about it. And then there was an almighty slam as the front end just crashed down onto the runway because they have to stop oh, so that's hard. A bit yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would have a word with the pilot about that. I, I was grateful we were on solid ground. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so you start yeah. writing a passage about... Malaga Airport. That's right, the landing at Malaga Airport. That I, I thought, what what name can I give him? And I I used my own, uh, my own name initially, and I thought, no, this isn't right. Let's 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 be a bit uh, adventurous here. So I invented the name Bruce Williams, and uh, I thought I couldn't work out why the hell he was there. But I thought, well, what's he going to do? And ironically. Um, the day before, uh, we'd been down at the beach, and one of the Guardia Civil launches, which again is referred to in, in the book, um, I think I've given it the name, the Rio Genil, um, came up past our coast, our particular piece of coast, only about sort of 500 metres offshore, but you could hear those big marine diesels throbbing as she came up the coast. And you could hear her from that sort of one, a kilometer away very easily. And I thought that's incredible, that big boat. And that just, that gave me the idea then, right, he's come to Malaga to buy a boat. Okay. And that... it, it just went, it just went from there. Um, and it just progressed on and on and on still with no intentions of it being published or becoming a book or anything else. It was just simply, I enjoyed writing it. See, I think sometimes um, when, the, when, when, when you're writing, the, the, those are the best ones. When you, you don't start off with any intention, but you get to one point and then you ask, well, how did, that, how did we get here? Or like you so, said, why is he in Malaga? He's going to buy a boat. And then, so then I suppose the next thing is he buys the boat. Yeah, he does. Uh, now, boats aren't cheap, especially not the boats of the, the ilk that uh, are described in the book. Um, and references made to a Princess 82. Um, and there's also reference to Princess 70s or 72s. Um, and uh, they are not cheap boats to play around with. But no. at, that, at that point, 
no one has no one has asked and there's no mention as to how it is that he's able to afford you know 1.5 million pound boat which a 2014 version would cost yeah and so the 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 book as it starts to go through is, is this about discovering how he got his money or who's after him for his money no um the book the book is has well, has several sort of um plots if you like yeah um needless to say there's romance involved um bruce meets um a woman half his age just about um and they both fall in love with each other uh they get married and before just before they get married bruce explains how he comes by his fortune and his fortune has been achieved uh by a win a, a substantial win in excess of 85 million pounds on the on the lottery and there have been a number of wins of that ilk yeah there has yeah. i think there was one it was over 100 million wasn't there yeah, I think there was a Euro one was about 140 million or something. It was, it was, it was absolutely huge. Yeah. But then um, what I haven't told you yet is that, and I don't want to give too much. No, no, absolutely. Um, is that Bruce Williams has formally lost his wife of a substantial amount of years in a traffic accident which he was badly injured in anyway. Um, so he is still recovering from that two years on, uh, has, has the win on the lottery, um, has a house on Hailing Island as well, but he keeps that because it's very important to him to re retain a UK address, although he wants to live abroad in the sunshine. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I think if ever that happened to me, I would still want to retain uh, a UK address simply because we've got the best national health service in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think people realise that either. No, no, no. Um, and I'm, I have a, a sister-in-law and Doris soul who recently died last year his, her husband and he died of cancer I'm sorry. or um, a cancer you know um and it was very quick uh, and you have to ask how their health service operates and their food standards and they rely on people from the family to do the nursing in the in in the hospital rather than the nurses the nurses are there to um, to 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 do the uh, medicine part, you know, not the nursing and keeping company and changing the beds and yeah. stuff like that. So you're very dependent on families if you're in hospital in Spain. But nonetheless, they are good. They are good for what it is. And I'm not knocking it one bit. It's just the way of life. Yeah, no, I, I think people... Um... I'm going to try and articulate this so it's not too clumsy, but I've always noticed, and I'm not saying that Great Britain is perfect in any way, shape or form, right? 
there's always room for things that could be better depending on your opinion of course but we i know when people complain about this country i immediately think i don't think you've traveled very far and got into trouble anywhere and by that i mean get on a plane go to another country and see what happens when you need medical assistance legal assistance or something goes wrong it's it's all great when you're on a tour operator type holiday but travel a bit and, and see what happens to the rest of the world and then when you come home you'll probably kiss the tarmac as you get off a plane well better still never mind flying from a to b which is what most people do tend to do be adventurous get out in the camper van a motorhome something along that pack up a tent go and experience other people's lives live on a campsite eat locally mm. In France, in Germany, in 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 um, in Spain, Portugal, get to know how these people live. Um, and I've never been to Greece before. Um, I've been to Cyprus, but not to visit. But um, I hear of people taking these planes and going to these holiday places, but never going out, never experiencing the food. Have you ever eaten frog's legs? I have. I, I have yeah. actually, yeah. Um, and snails. Um, snails, yeah. Like buggers, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um, I, I, I mean, the garlic sauce is the best part of it. I was about to say, the, 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 when I had the snails, it was the garlic sauce, and you just like, it's a good yeah, job yeah. there was garlic sauce, and it's a good job the chef was doing a good job. Um, but I, I know, I know what you mean. Cause uh, a friend and I have spent five years. Uh, so we did two weeks every year for five years and we surfed from the Algarve to Cherbourg in France. So we did the entire West coast of Europe and part of that was done in camper vans and, but there was no hotels, no nothing involved. Um, but there was, yeah, there was a lot of driving, a lot of camper van holidays, uh, campsites, uh, a little bit of wild camping, but not much. Um, yeah, and it's a very different world when you start doing it that way. Um, and when we weren't in camper vans, we were staying in apartments um, like Airbnb, where you are actually just living in a flat with all of the other people that live in that city, that town. And uh, yeah, and I, I've done, like I said, I've done from, I've done all of Portugal. Um, North Portugal is amazing. Northern Spain is just phenomenal for everything and and then france um which is just vast <laughs> you know the west coast of france is vast because there's no big roads down that way so it's, it's all small roads small towns small communities and like and like you say it's it's the only way to experience it and the biggest shock that i think most people will find is once you start getting into these places english is not a language that's spoken and you won't find an english restaurant you won't find a restaurant with uh, English menus or anything like that. And you're just going to have to get by with Google Translate and whatever you learn. Yeah. That's right. And you know what? It's bloody wonderful. And I, I am so, I hate to say this, but I, I get embarrassed about Brits abroad. I, I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of us do. Really? I, or yeah. are they the Brit abroad? I, I think it's, we what we've done very well as a country is tour operator operator type holidays you know 
and and we set up camp places and like and we just everybody goes there for the sunshine the beer blah 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 but those very same people would probably also go to Disneyland and everything like that do, do, do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and and it doesn't matter whether they're from Britain or from France from Germany that there are people from other countries that do that everywhere you know like yes. the, the the amount of french people when i was driving around france on campsites who were fr- french camping in france then you'd meet germans dutch you know but every country i went to i would always bump into somebody who was holidaying in their own country mm, and you're yeah. like you in europe you know you could you could go in but they, they want to stay in their own culture their own place with what they oh. know and it's but i think we have a reputation but when you look at that reputation it's really quite isolated to certain parts of spain uh yep i mean you only have to go down the beachfront of mieca for instance or yeah malaga or and, and english and, restaurants um, yeah and, and um uh English breakfast served and Paddy's bar and Guinness yeah, on Exactly Drive. that, you know. Yeah. If, you, if you go to the um, Algarve, it's getting a bit like that and golf courses. Uh, if you, The funny yeah. thing is, if you go to um, Ibiza and step out of San Antonio, it's the most beautiful island. But 90% of Brits that go to Ibiza will just stay in the town, in San Antonio. So all they experience is this... Um, this town that is basically England. The, 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 I don't know what else to call it. It's just England on holiday or Great Britain on holiday. Um, yeah. But if you go out of the town boundaries and drive around the town, uh, the rest of Ibiza and go to Ibiza town, go to the two points of the It's stunning, absolutely beautiful and an amazing little island. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't been there yet. I... I if I be, go to Ibiza town or one of the more remote locations on Ibiza, it's a very small island. We used to, me and some friends, two or three years, just drove mm-hmm. around on 50cc mopeds. You could get from one side to the other in two hours. Yeah. And yeah. And, and you see the most amazing places, the most amazing places. Yeah. Um, Perhaps Bruce take his, uh, his yacht over to Ibiza. Yeah. Well, th- this is it. So where does Bruce go with this yacht? Um, actually, Bruce doesn't go too far because, uh, unfortunately, the pandemic sets in. Remember, this is set January. Yep. The book is actually set from January 2020 to April in 2020. Um, and everything was going absolutely pear-shaped with the COVID-19. Uh, lockdown was in full full swing. Um Boris Johnson caught COVID. Um, what's his name? Donald Trump was saying, drink bleach or something. Yep. Um, <laughs> it was absolute chaos. But I mean, so yes, it's it, it was based within that sort of four-month period, four, five-month period. And um, so he doesn't get to go far because he gets the boat very cheap on account of the fact that there's a number of things wrong. Services have been missed on generators, main engines, there's disputes over hours, but everything runs perfectly. So they stay fairly local 
um, and they go into isolation on the boat um, off the coast of Spain once they're married. And then there's the fastest adoption the world has ever known. But you have to read the book for that. Absolutely. And there is going to be a sequel and a prequel, isn't there? Well, currently there's a number of things happening. Um, and maybe this is a, 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 an aspect of this of subject that I would caution every new author to consider very, very carefully. And that is their choice of publisher. Yes. Now, um, I wrote, once I'd, we decided that we'd written a book, let's get it published. I wrote to a number of publishers, tried to contact a number of publishers. No one wanted to know. No one would even answer a telephone. So if there's any publishers out there, apart from Riverside Publishing, mm -hmm. based down in... Woodford? Uh, Wiltshire? Yeah, that's it. Woodford, Woodford and Wiltshire, yes. Riverside mm. Publishing. Chap called Duncan and uh, yeah. his partner. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, give me a call because um, I'd, ha I'd happily speak to them. Uh, the, the thing is now that having had the book published, uh, we paid something like about £600 for the privilege and got a special deal. Um, I'm not sure whether I should actually name the publishing company. <laughs> Suffice to... Mm, I think I'd be a bit careful here. Yeah, I'm no, but that, that, that's fair enough. I mean, I, I always advocate, yeah. you know, if you have any uncertainty, then don't say it. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to end up in a court. Yeah. Um, it's an American company, um, but all their operations run out of the Philippines. I see. I right. see. So... Uh, with their head office supposedly in Philadelphia, I think it is. Um, anyway, uh, you, I submitted the book uh, for publishing and paid this amount of money, which, you know, about £600, I think it was. And then they start hitting you with the sales pitch. It, oh, it only cost you so much. But then before that, they bent you over and blown hot air up your ass and told you what a wonderful book you've written, um, how great it is, and how they can picture themselves on the deck of the of the Cape Agillus. And that's no, Cape Agillus. Yeah, the Cape Agillus. Um, and um, right. And they don't even know where the hell that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why, why? I mean, I'm talking to some guy who's trying to sell me um, superb editing for something in excess of £3,000, you know, and then they want to do the marketing project for another £2,500 and they guarantee, well, they're going to guarantee that your book will sell and they want to provide this and that and the other for extra thousands of pounds again. And I, I declined this and went for self-publishing, so, which was a big mistake um, initially because all I was using was Word. Yeah. Um, and Word is very good. It's got a certain amount of grammar edit editing, but it misses things like 
overuse of exclamation marks, for instance, commas in incorrect positions, maybe a full stop here, maybe break down a long sentence, take the comma out, put a, a full stop in, um, shorten down excessively on description, but not over, overly doing it, because I think a book um, needs to be descriptive. And one of my fat, one of my heroes is a guy called Wilbur Smith. Have you heard of him? Yep. Right. So Wilbur Smith, I mean, I came across him when I was back in the UK and his first book was when, when the lion feeds. Okay. And he's so descriptive in his writing that I could picture myself there back in the bush with the crickets going in the early evening, a call of a makwa dove, you know, it's, it's, it's descriptive. I, I, I was there, I was back in Africa. I could picture myself lying there in the tall elephant grass, Yeah, you know. I do um, because one of the things, um, and j just for context, I obviously I published through Riverside Publishing, but I also went to school with Duncan, so. You know? <laughs> and when yeah, I said, so yeah, so when I said me and my friend did surfing, it, all that surfing and did, um, yeah. So, but one of the things, especially is for writers uh, who are listening to this is don't get too caught up in the right way to write. The best way to write is what you find enjoyable as you're doing it. You know, and like you say, some people want to put in enough description that your imagination, the, the reader's imagination will fill in the blanks. But other people can be so descriptive that they paint the perfect picture that that person can see. And I think you've got to find what, and it's a bit cliche, but it, there's a lot of truth in when they say, when you're writing, you've got to find your voice. And the best way to find your voice is to write and stop reading however people tell you you should write. And just do it for yourself. And whatever, like you said, you sat down at a computer and started writing about landing in Malaga. And then you came up with a character and it's like, well, why is he here? Well, he's going to buy a boat. Well, why is he buying a boat? Where does the money come from? What's going... And it, it just unravels itself if you don't try and interfere with it. I figured that, yeah. So uh, anyway, um, Carrying on from our, my current publisher, we yeah. discovered that um, I couldn't... Oh, they have a printer over in the UK based uh, down in Wiltshire, believe it or not. And um, I contacted the printer and said, look, could you print me off some copies? Because uh, I was getting uh, you know, a few demands, yeah. inquiries about people wanting to buy the book. And um, they said, well... Actually, it's, we're, we're terribly sorry, but well, they, even though you're the author, we're not allowed to print it for you. We have to. The only people that have the printing right is your publisher. Oh. So I can't take my manuscript, which I have the uh, rights to, the copyright to, um, and. I can't take it to anyone else to have it printed because my publisher in the States hold the public, hold, hold the printing run, sell printing run. So if I want any printed copies, 
I have to go through my publisher. Then you definitely, for future reference, people need to use companies like Riverside Publishing who don't do that to you. No, exactly. That's you, this you, is it. Yeah, you basically pay for the services of them, and that's it. Right. They yeah. take no ownership. So to continue that, um, continue with that, um, I had started to write the prequel. So that was about Bruce's early life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bruce started his life in Rhodesia um, before it became Zimbabwe. Um, and I'm sort of two-thirds of the way through that, and I've decided there's got to be two prequels because there's a lot of time between the first prequel, the first book of the series, as it's going to be, then second book, and then the Caper Gullers. Yeah. Then, then I can write a sequel to the Caper Gullers, which will take Bruce on further. So <clears throat> the prequel that you're currently writing, um, what, what sort of age is, is Bruce at the moment? Well, at the moment, <clears throat> uh, Bruce has got, I mean, he's born, uh, we've got to the stage where he's um, just about to turn 80. He'll be called up for national service in Rhodesia. Um, but then again, at this, at this point now, I've discovered that, I had discovered that I hadn't got any printing rights on Caper Gullers. So, um, with advice i have started revamping caper gullis to provide a second edition right to which to which i will then submit to hopefully riverside if they give me a good deal <laughs> that, we, <laughs> that we can then take to people like waterstones and say look you know we have this book um this is the second edition. And the reason I've done the second edition is correctness, I think, to some degree. It's made it more readable the way yeah. I see it. The other thing is I've been able to include very, very importantly is connections to the prequels. Yes. Can if, if you... Yeah, no, that makes sense. Book. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Makes perfect because sense. at the time of writing, I didn't even think about a prequel, let alone a sequel. No, that, that, that's about publishing. No, but but this is this is what happens: is you know, um, you you start writing books, and it, it it's very hard to explain to people who have never written a book that you don't know what's going to happen until you've finished it, and then you read it back. Absolutely. And then you start reading it back and give it a few months and a few weeks. And what turns into tweaks can, in your case, turn into, I want to do a prequel. I want to do two prequels. And, you, you know, it can be a path in enlightenment or it can be a dark path, whichever way you want to look at it, you know, because you, you open something up and there's a story to be told. And like you said, I mean, you, you hit it, you know, the nail bang on the head. It's... Until you've done it, you've no idea where it's where the journey is going to take you. No, um, and um, I'm just lucky to be here today. Yeah, because you know, if you look at Bruce Williams, you, the the point that you introduced him to yourself originally 
but you you you've now got a curiosity for an entire character. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I hope I can build that curiosity amongst the public. Exactly that. Exactly that. And one of the things, um, because it's on, it's on the press buyer that was sent to me, I did want to ask you, um, is because you, you suffered a stroke while you were writing this. No, um, I had actually written. It was um, I had actually submitted uh, to the publisher. Um, before I had the stroke, um, then I had the stroke and I was still in hospital um, when I got the phone call to say from the publisher um, along, along the lines, Michael, how are you? Michael, this is um, so-and-so from publishing house and um, how are you? Well, actually, I'm just recovering from a stroke. Is that all right? Can I call you back when I'm, I get out of hospital? And yes, a month later, I, I managed to ref call them back and they told me that they'd accepted the content of the book. In other words, it wasn't full pornography or anything along those lines. Yeah. Because um, obviously you've got to be a bit careful. Um, and it, it wasn't damning of anyone uh, intentionally. Um and we then had to spend time coming up with a cover for the book. Um, and it was during, that was post-stroke. Post, um, post so I came out of hospital in September last year. And um, fortunately, um, I regained my speech. Um, most of my face has now come back up to normal. Drifts down a bit here, but uh, I can manage with that. Um, I'm slowly regaining some movement in my left arm and my fingers. My left leg is slowly improving. I'm still wheelchair bound, but hey, that's life. The main thing is that I'm alive. Yeah. There's a lot of people who suffer strokes, do not live or are left in such a state that I wouldn't want to live like that. And I really, initially, suffering or surviving a stroke, whichever way you want to look at it, is traumatic. Absolutely traumatic. Um, but, and you, you ask yourself, why the hell does that happen to me? But then, there we go. Um, so, sorry, what was your conclusion to that then? So the conclusion to that was, yes, the book had been written, but all the corrections, all the editing was done post-stroke. Um, and it wasn't until the book went for publishing in February that I'd read it, reread it, tried to correct it. Looked, I hadn't really looked at the grammar part, unfortunately. And I, I, I look at the first page now. And I'm, I'm embarrassed at times, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I am embarrassed. Um, and so now for the second edition, I've, I've, I've made those corrections. It reads so much better. The plot is still there. The descriptions are there. So, yes, it's okay. So, so how are you now with writing after the stroke? I type with one hand. You type with one hand? 
I, I type in one hand. Here we go uh, over the keyboard. Um, I have you, you can't see it, but I've got my left arm up here on a, it's resting on a cushion. Yeah, I can I can put my index finger on the shift key or a control key or the caps lock. Okay, so you've adapted. Yeah. So where does that mentality come from? I don't know. Um, pass. Where where does the mentality of anyone who wants to survive and get on? I mean, I, I don't know where that comes from. Really, I don't. I don't think it comes from my parents. It might come from my upbringing, possibly. Time of the forces. Um, who who knows? It's 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 just one of those inherent factors of mine that I will not give up. I'll not be beaten. And that's probably a great place to stop. Yeah. Thank you very much. My pleasure, David. Thank you so much for your time. No, you're very welcome.